A few weeks ago, I met a, a new friend. His name is Yuri Kriel, and he's the leader of Next Move Ministries, and he is passionate about seeing the next generation of young people follow Christ. Now, he shared something with me that I just could not get off my mind these past few weeks. And he shared this. He said, there are some verses in the Bible that when you think about them, it's very comforting, it's peaceful, it helps you go to sleep at night. And he said, for example, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Or Romans 8, which says that Jesus says that there's nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Or in Hebrews 13:5, God says, never will I ever leave you or forsake you. But then he said there are some verses in the Bible that keep him up at night. And there's one verse that he shared that, that has just stuck out to me and I couldn't get off my mind. And it's Judges chapter 2 verse 10. And it says this, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up that neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now the context of this is that Joshua had just led the Israelites into the promised land and now he has died and the elders that outlived him have died and so this is the next generation and they didn't know anything about what the Lord had done for the Israel and they didn't know who the Lord was. Now, what is going to keep this verse from being a sad reality for us today? Europe, I don't know if you know this, is seen as a post-Christian continent. One statistic out there is that the United Kingdom alone, 70% of British young people say that they have no religion, no, no belief in God. And many believe that America is headed in the same direction, especially with the spiritual attack that is happening in our young people today. A few weeks ago, Pastor Tim shared from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, and he shared about all the issues our young people are facing today, from anxiety and depression to bullying to drug addiction and teen pregnancies. Now, I spent a lot of time at our local high school, Cayland High School, and this past week I sat down with one of our counselors there, and I asked her this question, what are the issues that the students at Cayland High School facing today? And she said, she said anxiety, but she added to it, she said existential anxiety. I said, what does that mean, existential anxiety? She said, it's not necessarily coming out at the forefront, but at the back of their, what every one student is saying is that they're saying that there's no meaning and purpose in life, that they feel isolated and alone, and they could die at any moment. That that's what's causing our young people anxiety. You know, as a generation, they feel helpless and hopeless. But what is the answer for our young people today? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Romans 1.16, I love this verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. Jesus didn't only come to save us from the hell that we were headed to, but he came to save us from the hell that we're going through. What is the gospel? The gospel is this. That God created you and I for a relationship with him. Now that gives us purpose and meaning in life, doesn't it? But we all have a problem called sin, and our sin, it separates us from God, and sin can't be removed by good deeds no matter how hard we tried. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, who was fully God and a fully man, came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life. 
and paying the price for our sins, Jesus died on the cross and three days later he rose from the dead. That shows that Jesus conquered sin and death and we don't have to fear death anymore. And anyone and everyone who repents of their sins and puts their trust in Jesus alone as their Savior and Lord will have eternal life. And that life with Jesus, it starts the moment you believe and lasts forever. And that's the promise that Jesus will always be there, that you'll never have to feel alone. Now some of you here this morning, you're hearing this message of the gospel, and you've never ever trusted your life to Christ or surrendered to Jesus. Don't leave today without having that personal relationship with Jesus, knowing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. And, and today is the day that you can have that meaning and purpose. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can know that he's always with you and you never ever have to fear dying because you trusted in Jesus alone. I don't believe that America has to have the same fate as post-Christian Europe. You see, I look at the history even in our country. If you think, look back at the Great Awakenings, how God sovereignly intervened in our country and there was awakenings in our country in, in the past and God can still do that today. God is also at work what's called the Global South. The Global South is Latin America, Africa, and Asia. And I don't know if you're aware, but the church of Jesus Christ is just exploding. And believers in Jesus are, are, are excited about their relationship with him. They're sharing the gospel with others. People are coming to faith in Christ. I also had a, a front row seat of how God is even at work in Europe. Last summer, my eighth grade daughter Gwen and I went to Poland. And we were a part of a mission trip there where we worked at an English immersion camp. And um, on Wednesday, um, I shared the gospel, and uh, there was over a dozen uh, Polish uh, people as well as Ukrainian refugees that truly surrendered their lives to Jesus. And and two of those individuals are, are Dominic on the left and Conrad on the right. You need to know this, before they came to camp, they had some close family members told them, hey, go there and learn English, but but don't follow the Jesus that they're talking about, you know, just just go there and learn English. And you know what? When they heard the gospel of grace, and then it's, it's salvation alone, grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, they said, you know what? We get it. And they surrendered their lives to Christ, knowing that when they go back home, that they're going to let close family members be disappointed in them. But they said, you know what? Well, we've experienced this life change in Jesus. is worth it. There is nothing like that. God changed your lives. God is even at work in our own student ministry. Today, in our second service, um, Austin Steinbeck, he, he got baptized. He was so excited to get baptized. But even in, in this service, you'll get to witness this. So Charlie Nordell is on the left end. Um, a year and a half ago or so, uh, when they were in eighth grade, right now they're, these are ninth grade guys, uh, Charlie invited Justin, who's in the middle there, to youth group. And Justin started coming to youth group, and over the past course of this year, uh, Justin trusted his life to Christ. And then just the past few months, uh, Justin invited his friend Xander to youth group. And in the, just the past couple months, Xander trusted in Jesus. And they, and if you were to talk to them today, they'd say, you know what? My life has changed. Like, I have so much joy and so much hope because of Jesus in my life. And you're going to get to witness their baptism at the end of this service of how God's changed their life. And we praise God for that, too. So. You know, this, in April, end of April, I had the 
privilege of going to Colorado for what's called the Gospel Advancing Summit. And I'm seeing God working globally in our, in our young people across the world. Now, there were people, youth pastors and youth leaders from all over the world, from America to South Africa to Puerto Rico. I met friends. And so there, and, and there is one mission that everyone's coming together with one goal in mind. And this is the mantra. Every teen, everywhere, hearing the gospel from a friend. So every teen, everywhere in the globe, hearing the gospel from a friend. And, and we're united together to see this happen globally. So God is at work. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel that transforms lives. But not only is the message of the gospel important, but Jesus also gave us the method to, to bring about transformation. And transformation that will, so that Judges chapter 2 verse 10 won't be true for us. And, and these are familiar verses to us in Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. Jesus says this, and then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Making disciples is Jesus' method to transform both our lives and the culture. Now, Pastor Tim shared a few weeks ago that parents are the biggest influencers in their children's lives that as parents, it's your primary role is to make disciples of your children. And what our role is as a church is, is to come alongside of you as parents and help the students and the children here discover, develop, and deploy as they become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. I titled today's message, Three Ways to Invest in the Next Generation. And I want to challenge all of us as a church to invest in the next generation on a couple of levels. I want to encourage all of us as a church to invest in the next generation of our children and our students. That's one level of the next generation. But there's another level of the next generation, and that's this. People who don't know Jesus yet, that's the next generation of believers, isn't it? And we need to invest in them, whether they're children or students or adults. We need to be investing in them. I want to give three disclaimers. When I say next generation... I am not talking about that students and children are the church of tomorrow. If they've put their trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, they are part of the church today, aren't they? And so we need to be investing in them today because they're the church today. Second disclaimer is this, and some of you, I get it, some of you maybe aren't exactly wired to work with children and students. But you know what? All of us are called to make disciples whether it's children, students, or adults. So don't tune out. This message is for all of us that Jesus calls all of us to make disciples. And some of you are here and you're saying, you know what, I hear I'm supposed to make disciples, but I just don't know a whole lot. You know, I'm really young in my relationship with Christ, and that's okay. I want to encourage you to find a mature Christian and ask them to start pouring into you and investing in you so you can get to the point where you're making disciples and then you can keep making disciples and make more disciples. I want to focus the rest of this message on understanding how one important verse can really transform our whole culture and the world around us. And it's 2 Timothy 2 2. So if you open up to 2 Timothy 2 or it's on the screen, the context of 2 Timothy is this. Paul is on death row. 
He knows he's going to be executed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And any time anyone has last words, this is, and so to speak, Paul's last will and testament, last words are really important, right? And there are so many important truths in 2 Timothy. And this is just one I want to focus on is 2 Timothy 2.2. And Paul says to Timothy, And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's three ways that God calls us to invest in the next generation. And the first way is this, to spend time with them. Spend time with them. He says, what you've heard from me, you see there's that relationship there from that verse. When Paul goes on his second missionary journey, you see in Acts chapter 16, he comes to the city of Lystra. And in Lystra, he meets Timothy and and he says, Timothy, why don't you just come hang out with me and be my assistant and start following me. And so Timothy does. He starts accompanying him. As far as Timothy's biological father, we knew that he was Greek, but there's no indication that he ever became a believer in Jesus, that he was a Christian. So Paul filled the shoes of a spiritual father to Timothy. And we see this in, in the first epistle of Timothy in chapter 1, verse 2, where Paul calls Timothy, my true son in the faith. And here, if we go back to 2 Timothy and and chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, we see how Timothy was so well acquainted with Paul's life. Because in 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11, Paul tells Timothy, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Paul spent time with Timothy, and Timothy spent time with Paul. And that's what disciple-making is. You know, we have the greatest example of disciple-making in Jesus, don't we? When Jesus called his twelve disciples, he said, Come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And when they answered yes to that call for the next three years, they followed Jesus, and they hung on every word that Jesus said and watched every action Jesus did to see what does it really mean to be someone who fully follows after God. You know, you would think that it's common sense that if you're going to make disciples, that you spend time with them, right? But that's not true for everyone. I remember when I was in my early 20s, and I was an intern in my home church growing up, and I really looked up to my senior pastor and I remember catching him in the back hallway one day and and I said hey would you be willing to disciple me would you be willing to spend time with me and you know what his answer was he said listen to my audio sermons that's not like how I think I look at scripture how Jesus spent time with his disciples is it listen just listen to my message that's part that's an important part of it but it's more than that it's spending time with them a couple years later I, I was able to uh meet a man who became a mentor of mine. His name was Dwight Slater and he was a missionary doctor in in Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast in Africa. And he came home from the field and I remember asking him, uh, Dr. Slater, would you mind spending time discipling me? And he said, let me, let me pray about that and I'll get back with you. And I remember receiving that phone call like it was like the biggest acceptance letter to a, a university. Like he said, I'd be honored to to learn and grow along with you. And I remember every Thursday night for two years, we I would spend I would go into his house and we, there was this upper study that he had a couch and we'd spend two or three hours up there and we would do three things in our time together. 
One-third of the time, we would just talk about life, you know, how things are going on in my life, how are things are going on in his life. The second third of our time, we would spend in, in Scripture study and talk about God's Word. And then the last third of the time, we would turn around and kneel facing the couch, and we'd spend a half an hour go, going back and forth and just praying and talking to the Lord. And that really helped mold who I am today, just that disciple-making time that uh, Dr. Slater spent with me. You know, when we look for people to disciple, we have to look for certain qualities in them, don't we? In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, it talks about faithful men. A faithful person is someone who's reliable. I have a little acronym that I want to put on the screen that these are the qualities you need to look for in someone if you're going to disciple them. They need to be people who are after more. That means they're available, faithful, teachable, and responsive. Right? Sometimes I, I've come across people and I say, hey, I, I, you know, they say, I love to grow and I, and I say, I love to spend time discipling you, but you know what? They're too busy. They're never available. They don't have time, right? So they, they don't fit that, those qualities. Or maybe you meet with somebody and you show them in God's word something that they're supposed to do, what God's word says, but they, it's like, well, I'm not sure I want to do that. They're not teachable or responsive. So you need to look at that and say, if I'm going to disciple somebody, they need to be a faithful, Available, faithful, teachable, and responsible. Young people today, they're looking for adults who genuinely care about them and are willing to invest time in them. It does take sacrifice and commitment. We have some great children's ministry workers and and student ministry leaders, and they do spend a lot of time investing in our young people. I want you to make sure you thank them if you see them. But I want to ask you, is God calling you to invest time in in young people and if not young people is God calling you to invest in someone else if it, whether it's not a child or a, a teenager maybe it's an adult the second way that we can invest in the next generation is to study God's word together Paul says in what you have heard from me what do you think Paul Timothy heard from Paul God's word right now, here's the thing. There are two things in the world that last forever. You know what those are? It's the Word of God and people. The Word of God lasts forever. In First Peter 1.25, it says, But the Word of the Lord endures forever. And people last forever. People are going to either enter an eternity in heaven with Jesus, or they're going to face an eternity in hell apart from Jesus. In Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. And he says this, Then he'll say to the goats on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment. And to the righteous sheep, those on his right, will go to eternal life. You know, if you're going to invest in your life and what's important and what lasts forever, invest in God's Word and in people. We also see the word entrust in this verse. Paul tells them to entrust them. And entrust is the idea of something that's really special, a treasure, very valuable. And whatever we're entrusting, it's God's Word, right? We are to entrust the treasure of the eternal Word of God into the hands of eternal people. I know that I want to talk about the difference between what formal discipleship and informal discipleship is, right? 
informal discipleship is when you take time and you and you study God's word. So if you're in a small group, that's formal discipleship or formal talking about God's word. I know our women's ministry. There's a lot of formal discipleship happening where. There's, I was talking to Amanda Bidal, and there's, there's over 20 women who have been mentored um, in the women's ministry, and they have formal discipleship happening. I get often asked the question, though, when it comes to studying God's Word, you know, what are we to study, you know? And I often get asked, even this last week I was asked, um, hey, do you know of a, a good devotional for students or young adults? And you know what I think the best thing to do is, there are a lot of great resources, and those are great to use, but just read God's word. That's what we need to be in. I have a, a pastor friend in Detroit, and he shared with me, here's three books of the Bible. He's saying, where do I even begin to disciple somebody? He said, the book of John, Romans, and Second Timothy. He said, the book of John, because it's the gospel, and it, and it focuses on the life of Jesus and the importance of believing in Jesus. He said, then Romans is good to study because it, it shows the riches and the depths of our salvation. And then Second Timothy is a, is a good third book to study because, as I shared, this is the end of Paul's life, right? And how it shows what's really important as he's ending the end of his life. We also um, need to informally um, disciple other people. And what does that mean for informal discipleship? Informally means kind of as you're just going through life, as you're walking along the road. Now, Parents were supposed to informally disciple our children all the time, formal times, but informally. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, talks about that. It says this, These commandments that I give you today are to be in your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now that's talking about how parents are just talking about God's word just as they're going through life. And I know some of my best conversations with my kids is when I'm driving in the car and all of a sudden we just get in a, in a gospel conversation or a conversation about the Bible or they ask questions. That's what informal discipleship is. And it's not just parents with children, but we should be doing that with one another as adults, having these informal conversations about God's word. I like to use this term. I like to ask people, what's your God thought for today? And your God thought for today is, is, is really, what's God teaching you from his word? What's God doing in your life lately? And, and the reality is, if we're really in God's word, we should be at any moment's notice, have a God thought, thought ready to be shared with somebody else, shouldn't we? Saying, what's your God thought? That's what informal discipleship is. Not only are we to spend time with others, and not only are we to study God's word together, but the third way to invest in the next generation is to share God's vision to multiply. Now, we hear the word discipleship, and discipleship is about Christian character, and that's absolutely true. But if we stop there, we fall short of what Jesus has called us to do. He's called us to multiply. Dan Spader um, is the founder of Sun Life Ministries, which is a disciple-making ministry, and he shares this. Our command is not discipleship, but disciple-making. Discipleship normally refers to what you do with Christians. The term discipleship makes people think of deeper Bible studies or weightier content for Christians. This is important, but it isn't our mandate. Our mandate is disciple-making, which is the whole process from unbeliever to fully trained, reproducing, 
disciple maker. As you think about 2 Timothy 2.2, I want you to think about how many generations of disciples are there in that verse. And if we look at the next slide, you'll see that there are four. You know, Paul says, what you have heard from me, so the me is Paul, the you is Timothy, that's the second generation. He said, commit these to faithful men, which is the third generation, who will also be able to teach others, which is the fourth generation. You see four generations of disciple-making. In our lives, we need to be making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And can you say in your life that I fully discipled somebody so that they've multiplied and discipled someone else and they've discipled somebody else, that we should be having great-grandchildren disciples in our lives? We need to think differently. We need to go from addition to multiplication. And what I mean by this, and the next slide will show this, if you are a a great evangelist, an evangelist is someone who's able to share the gospel with somebody And we all should be sharing the gospel with somebody. But if you led someone to Christ, one person a day, every day for one year, you'd lead 365 people to Jesus in one year, which is awesome. At the end of two years, you'd lead 730 people. At the end of 32 years, you'd lead 11,680 people to Christ. And that would be an awesome thing, wouldn't it? But if you were a discipler, and you just took one person, and you led them to Christ, and you poured into them for one whole year... So at the end of that first year, there were two of you that were disciple makers. Then you say, okay, the vision is we're going to split off after this year, and you're going to disciple someone, and I'm going to disciple somebody. Then you have four people after two years, eight people after three years. Guess what? In 32 years, you will reach 5 billion people, which is the world's population. And here's the thing, too. If you're just leading one person a day to Christ like the evangelist does every day, all you're doing is, if you can imagine the stage is full of a bunch of babies, how are you going to feed 365 babies? You can't, right? You know, that you're leaving them spiritual babies. But if you're a discipler, you're leading them to Christ, you're teaching them how to feed themselves so they can feed others, then you're maturing them, then they grow and they can disciple others. That's what we need to do. We need to go from addition to multiplication when it comes to disciple making. You know, we're all looking for... What's our purpose in life? And I am confident that the one purpose that God's given all of us as believers in Jesus Christ is to be a disciple makers. You know, I see this happening in our, our student ministry. Uh, Brandon Stoneberg, he's one of our youth leaders. And uh, he's was been discipling these high school boys for a few years now. And two boys that graduated a year ago were Johnny Pilkington and Noah Vandervoorne. And now... This last year, they are co-leading with him some ninth grade boys. So Brandon's pouring into Johnny and Noah as all three of them are pouring into the ninth grade boys. And you start to see some of that generational multiplication even happening in our student ministry. So, you know, we need to give our people, our young people, the people we're discipling, a vision to multiply. I want to ask you this question, though. Are you making disciples? Some of you have been believers for a long time. But are you making disciples who make disciples who make disciples? And I want to encourage you. Ask the Lord today, Lord, where do you want me to start? Do you want me to start by investing in young people, in students, in children, or other, other adults that need help being discipled? And who is that in your life? And start going down that road of making disciples of others. And there's others of you that are here today and you say, you know, I'm not ready to be discipled yet because I'm still young. I want to encourage you to find a mature Christian and say, hey, would you be willing to spend time pouring into me and help me to be a fully devoted follower of Christ 